Hello, Mark. So what have you been up to for 20 years? Choose life. Choose Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and hope that someone... 20 someone... years after betraying his friends and running off with almost all of the money from the scam, Mark Renton is back in Edinburgh. It is his first time back since the events that split him, Spud, and Simon apart. He looks up Spud and Simon, but their lives are hardly much better than when he saw them, when he last saw them. Spud, after getting his life together, has seen it all unravel to the point that he is suicidal. Simon is running his father's loss-making pub in between bouts of blackmail. Meanwhile, the fourth person in their caper of 20 years ago, the psychotically intense Big B, is in jail and he has no intention of staying incarcerated and revenge is foremost on his mind. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Lug It All podcast. This is your host, Elias Roush. Today we are discussing T2 Train Spotting, the sequel to Train Spotting 1996. This is also directed by Danny Boyle, bringing back basically everybody from the first movie, John Hodge, um, writing based on the Irving Welsh books. We have Ian McGregor returning as Renton, Ewan Brimmer as Spud, Johnny Lee Miller as Simon, Robert Carlyle as Bigby. Now, <clears throat> I just recorded the Train Spotting One review, so if you haven't seen Train Spotting at all, I would go back rewatch Train Spotting One, unless you're a little bit sensitive about uh, drugs, uh, if you're a little sensitive about uh, you know '90s drug culture. There's some scenes in there that can be a little bit intense to watch with regarding to kids. Um, so that's just you know what I want to throw out there. Um, so if you have not seen Train Spotting One, go back and go you know rewatch that, listen to the review, and then come back to T Two because honestly, I think T Two is one of the most necessary uh, movies. Oh, sorry, Train Spotting One is the most necessary movie to most sequels that you'll ever have to watch because there's homages, there's things that there's callbacks. There's an entire story that you're missing to this first half if you're not watching, if you're just jumping in T2 head first. So, given that everybody should have seen Train Spotting, now that you have, uh, I want to say it's not the same cinematographer, but the cinematography, my God, it's right back there. This is Anthony Dodd Mantle, who has uh, also been. Danny Boyle, cinematographer for other movies like Slumdog Millionaire and 127 Hours. Um, I gotta say, T2 Train Spotting transports you right back to the world with the camera work, the editing, the music, the acting. It's all phenomenal. <clears throat> Some of the pros I really liked about this movie were the editing and the cinematography. I wanted to mention this first because up front, those were the things that grasped me from the first movie that were 
really unique. It you know the movie was done for probably less than three million dollars, um, in U.S. dollars, um, but that's relatively low with com- in comparison to how beautiful the film was. The first film had quite a scope when it when it was showing unique camera angles, showing uh, them in these really disgusting locations, but making them extremely interesting using the camera work. Really enjoyed Train Spotting One. Now Train Spotting Two takes many of those same elements. The beautiful cinematography, the editing, the music, the camera work, all of that, the acting, <clears throat> takes all of that, brings it 20 years later, so everything's a little bit more polished, everything looks a little bit better. I will say that T2 is not nearly as bleak as the first one. The first one has this kind of dark clouds, but yet there's, <clears throat> you can see the horizon in the in, you know way off in the distance. I think this is kind of way more of the horizon and beautiful sunsets of an ending than it is um, as bleak as the first one. So, um, yeah, this movie is dealing with all of the repercussions of what happened at the end of the first movie. Given that I believe that you've seen the first movie... There's going to be somewhat spoilers because, I mean, you can't really talk about it without otherwise. <clears throat> so, spoilers for Train Spotting 1, not 2 yet. I will mark it when we are going to talk about Train Spotting and spoilers. It's Train Spotting 2 and spoilers. So, at the very end of Train Spotting 1, without giving too much away of that movie, if you haven't seen it for whatever reason, at the very end, Mark Renton, Ewan McGregor, runs off with all of his friends' money. They just pulled a scam for about $20,000, which doesn't sound like much, but they're all drug dealers and they're all drug addicts and stuff like that, so that's quite a lot for them. So at the end of Transpotting 1, Ewan McGregor is running off with the money, and you have no idea what's going to happen. The, the camera just fades in on his face, and I think it just goes into this blurry mode, and it, it kind of blurs him out, but it, it's a very interesting ending for that for that kind of movie, and, you know, for that kind of character. He wasn't that great of a guy, but we see how, he, how it ends, and so this movie is really about bringing all of that back, and, you know, uh, dealing with the repercussions of uh, Renton, the main character, screwing over all of his friends out of his money, out of their money, out of, out of their share. So, um, yeah, I, uh, let me see if there's anything else I want to talk about before spoiler section. Um, I think that's about it. Let's, I, I would totally recommend this as an addition and as an added bonus to, uh, train spotting one, you know, most people are like, you know, I don't know about sequels. This seems one of the, like, the most logical sequels that would make sense in sequence for this uh, story. And I love the originality with it. And something I had heard in another review, I would love to revisit this story in another 10 years. It's been 20 years, so what if we got to revisit them in another 15 or 20 again? That would be a lot of fun. So the only cons with this movie, and in a way that I didn't feel it in the first one... um, was the uh, the pacing of 
the movie. I think this this movie is about twenty minutes longer than uh, the original Train Spotting. Yeah, this one's about an hour fifty two minutes, and uh, the original Train Spotting was only an hour and a half. And I think that hour and a half was very tight. Um, this feels a little bit more laissez-faire with how they're going with the story, but it also allows for a little bit more, um, quote-unquote, hangout time, chill time. But, um, <clears throat> and kind of like the first movie, I think this movie actually gets better on its second half as well. Um, let me see. Alright, so let's hop into the spoiler section for Train Spotting 2. T2, whatever the hell it's called. <laughs> okay, so, um, let me see. So I said co the color on the blackmailer looked beautiful. I honestly can't remember what I'm talking about in there, but I guess there were some standout colors that were happening during the blackmail scenes. Um, the very beginning is kind of showing where everybody is, how shit their lives are. Spud's missing daylight savings, sick boy and, um, his uh, companion are scheming people out of their money. Um, I can't find her name. Oh, Veronica, played by An Angela Nedlovaka. Ned Yalkova. Sorry. She's, uh, I don't think I've seen her in anything else. Um, but she's beautiful and a pretty good actress, too, from Bulgaria. So. Um, Veronica is, n is nailing, uh, or I guess it's technically called pegging her clients and sick boy is recording them on, I guess, some sort of camera. And that's, that's what their scheming's going on. Um, and he's also running that pub. Big B is in jail and he's trying to get the fuck out, um, to the point where he, he gets stat he's tells one of his inmates to stab him to get him out. And Spud is just on his last wit. He, you know, trying to get, you know, clean and everything to the point where, well, technically he is clean, but he's he's trying to get to the point where he's not depressed anymore because of where his life has gone. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of sad to see where all of them end up, ended up in proximity. I did feel like I didn't really get a good sense of where... Renton ended up I I just based on how he looks and you know how healthy he is relatively I think he said he had some minor heart issues but other than that I think he's supposed to be relatively healthy and successful unlike his counterparts um <clears throat> I think Bagley said you know just do a little you know just a quick stab don't go too far and that guy fucking shoved that fucking shiv way up in I mean, you saw him go, it go through his back. I mean, this guy that Bagley wanted him to, uh, this guy that Bagley wanted him to, uh, stab him. Uh, I don't think that guy liked Bagley. I, I really think that guy was trying to kill him. Um, but then it goes over to the, the Spud storyline and it's, uh, I believe it's, I think it's Spud and he's getting drugs, um, from these random guys he pays one guy and he has to get the drugs out of the other one's mouth again we're bringing this disgusting shit to uh this movie train spotting the first one was very known you know with the poop vomit and whatever else humor 
sort of humor, but it was also very gross. This feels like a bit, you know, they're taking a little bit of that nastiness from that, um, from that movie and transferring it over. Um, let me see. The schemes have not stopped with regards to Sick Boy. Um, and eventually that's going to bite him in the ass. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. There's a flashback. I'm trying to think of. There's some sort of flashback with a red flash in the back. I, I, I don't know. I, I took horrible notes during this. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it's hard to think of old McGregor as that earlier character. And I don't really think of Ian McGregor as being old. It's just that character he was as Renton in 1996 looks and seems almost nothing like his character in 2017, I think this is. When did this come out? Train spotting 2017, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's very hard to relate those characters, although by the end of this movie, I was like, yep, that's him. Uh, I noticed that the characters in this film look almost dead in comparison to the world that they're living in. I mean, the world is so vibrant, and the colors and cinematography just make everything pop, that the char that our main characters just look like drained. It looks like they had been giving blood for days. Um, let's see. I love one of the elevator shots when uh, I think Ian McGregor's going up to the elevator of Spud's place, I think, and you can see the... Uh, the numbers on the side of the building. That's pretty cool. Small stuff like that is really interesting. It doesn't have to be that poppy and flary like Scott Pilgrim or something like that where words are just popping out of thin air. But, I mean, I like that. But the subtlety and being able to, you know, use numbers and words in select ways that isn't overabundant makes it very cool. Um... We also find out uh, Spud is trying to kill himself in this scene, and uh, Renton is trying to break down the door to get, to, you know, to, to open up the bag that is over Spud's head, and it is absolutely gross. Spud throws up in the bag, and he has to, and you know, Renton has to open up the bag, and then Spud is like on top of Renton, screaming with all the vomit coming off. Oh. It's hard for me to even, like, regurgitate that. It's like, ugh. Thinking about that just makes me queasy. <laughs> it's disgusting. So, Train Spotting 2 definitely does not, uh, you know, take away the majority of that nastiness. They basically replaced all of the shit in T1 and T2. They put vomit. <laughs> um, but... During all of this, I believe we're seeing this uh, visual of Spud falling off the building in uh, Renton, catching him at the very end. I love the visuals of that because that's, you know, him saving him. Um, Bagley knocked out of it, knocked out a doctor, escaped from prison. Like, this guy has no chill. Um, they go back to uh, the same bar that Sick Boy's father used to own. You know, same old fights. That old guy watching um, Renton and Sick Boy fight was pretty damn hilarious. Um, I was kind of... I was kind of confused on the No More Catholics 
um, <laughs> a segment of them just going off and singing with these random crowds while they're trying to steal all of their money and they have to go to the very front of the line and do some karaoke before they can leave and so they have to sing this song about Catholics and it's like, what are you talking about? Um, I I guess I was a little lost in the dust when it came to this music and musical scene that happened out of nowhere. Um, yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> um, oh yeah, so they steal cards and money from all these people at this. Uh, it was one of their scams of Sick Boy and Renton after they're done singing, and they have tons of these Visa cards. Are they just guessing the numbers to the the cards and just throwing them away? I, I was very confused about how they were actually obtaining money from all of this. Um, I, I don't feel like you could get too much during that. Um, also, there's cameras in ATM. So when you would steal a Visa card or if you would use someone else's Visa card, your face is instantly caught. Like, I don't understand what the thinking is with these uh, degenerates. They're not, they're, they're horrible thieves. So uh, if anything, that's going to br bring them down later. <clears throat> uh, let me see. I said I love the guy on the flash of the side of the car. Mark is off on the choose life. I'm not really sure what I was talking about. Love the flash of the guy on the side of the car. Um, not. I really don't know what I'm talking about. Um, Mark goes off on a choose life monologue. This is when he's talking with Veronica. And this is kind of when they're starting to, to become a couple. And I think at this point, Sick Boy and Veronica have already gotten in trouble for the blackmailing stuff. And so they have gone to see um, <clears throat> Mrs. McDonald from the first movie. What is her name? Kelly McDonald? Uh, yeah, Kelly McDonald. They see uh, Diane from the first movie, who is the underage girl that Renton slept with. Um... <clears throat> I will say that one of my cons with this movie was not really reckoning with the fact that he was with a much younger girl in the first movie. And then they seem to address it in this movie with the Diane character saying, Veronica's too young for you, um, uh, Renton. But yet he goes, he, he doesn't seem to care and still sleeps with her anyway. I'm not... Obviously, these are two consenting adults. I'm not. I'm not putting that down on anything. I'm just saying from the story angle, I don't understand why you would have in the '90s that that problematic situation come up and then readdress it again in the 2017 era, 20 years later, and then still do nothing to address it from. Uh, I guess from a learning curve, from like the the character growing, it's like he still hasn't learned anything. He's still sleeping with women that are like fifteen to twenty years old. <laughs> uh, yeah, or, or he, I don't think he did that in '96. They weren't that young, but he's still sleeping with women that are significantly younger than him. Um, hopefully, this time she was legal. But what I'm saying is, the fact is, I feel like they dealt—they dealt with none of the repercussions of that. And uh, I'm like, why even bring it up? They—they they didn't have to get together, is what it's saying. Is what I'm saying. Um, but given they did, 
I started to see where the movie was starting to end up. I think it was around the hour 10 minute mark where I realized that Veronica is starting to play all sides. The thing is, we never get Veronica's... I don't feel like we get a full Veronica perspective. And so we never really get inside her head about what she she is or what she wants. Except for maybe some independence and not to have to go back to um, her country broke. And so... Mark going off on the choose life monologue, basically, you know, choosing, uh, basically choosing data over relative life, I guess. Choose life is, is what they were saying in the first movie, which I, I get, I don't remember them saying it tons and tons of many times, but it was something they were saying, you know, choose life as in kind of ironically, but and it is this kind of outdated term in a way. But I like how in 2017 they were able to self-reflect it, you know, choose to, to you know, update your social media, choose to, to go spend so-and-so amounts of money on brand name materials, on capitalism. He's, he's, talk, he's touching upon basically basically the addictions of the world and how we transfer information and what it boils down to is data um but ultimately he's trying to relate his i I think he's trying to relate his struggle and addiction problems as a young man when he was saying choose life to saying that it's not just the addiction of drugs it's the addiction of everything it's the it's the consumerism of the world that is consuming us um so i was uh let me see so after the choose life um monologue they go on to talk, uh, or they go to a place where it's kind of like out in the hills or something like that. I don't know, some out in the countryside of some sort where Tommy and everybody used to hang out, and they're kind of doing some condolences to Tommy and you know talking about their lost friend. And that's when Sick Boy and Renton really have kind of a you know it's not quite a heart to heart, but it's it's kind of a heart bashing, I guess. You know, just an honest brutality of their past histories and they're talking about you know how Renton was was the reason basically that Tommy was hooked on drugs and got you know sick versus sick boys negligence and him losing uh you know people he loved in the first movie if you for some reason I really don't want to talk about the first movie too much yet um because if you haven't seen it I, I, I did a review for it so um, I'm kind of keeping it, you know, uh, blurry for those who haven't seen it. But there's, you know, Sick Boy loses uh, people he really cares about in the first movie in really hard ways for us to watch. So um, it was kind of a lot to handle to see Renton kind of just, you know, throw it back on him. You know, the guilt. It's not just me. It's, it's you know, both of us are, you know, more than just Renton's fault. Um, but as soon as they, they're scolding each other about Tommy, they start using again. And, uh, I love the wall for the visuals of these characters. And I think this is when Spud is kind of sitting in the corner 
it's interesting how they they kind of blame each other for what happened w- with each other's lives. They blame it because they were on drugs, but then they go back to the drug. It's the cycle of addiction. It's just scary watching it even through these these uh, movies. Mostly because it seems way too real. It's like, oh my gosh. You, you know, your lives are going to shit and all you give a shit about is going to get, you know, fucked up. Let me see. I think there is a... Oh, oh. they. I think they go to the club after they um, are doing... Yeah, after they're doing some uh, drugs. And then there's this, like, passing scene of, oh, Lord... One of those nasty toilets again, but that didn't that didn't actually happen. Um, but uh, I, Renton and Bagley happened to both be in the same restroom at the same club, and they're they're beside each other in, in the stalls. And Bagley drops his Viagra and it slips under to Renton's side. And Renton's like, "Oh, sorry, uh, you know, here, here you go," or, or he says something and. Uh, Bagley almost immediately recognizes his voice, and the way this is shot is so is so perfectly well done. I, I I felt like it was like what I like to say is pins and needles. It had me on the edge of my seat. I was like, "Holy shit! What is Bagley gonna do?" And this like the realization that you see between these two actors uh, and the camera pulling out between them is so. So smooth and, and Bagley just kind of hopping up on the toilet trying to creep over the top as Renton is leaving. It is, it's a trip. It's a trip. Excuse me. Um, yeah, it's, it, with the blue cinematography and the slow camera pan, I loved it. Um, let me see. Okay, so... There's an homage after this. There's this massive chase from Bagley to uh, Renton. And, of course, Bagley's got to pull out that fucking 1996 knife. I don't even know where he got it from. Um, But he whipped that out of his ass. And he's, like, chasing after Renton. And they go through this parking lot. And this random guy comes out and starts, you know, getting ready to hop in his car. And leaving his, you know, leaving leaving work that day. And then Renton uh, is, like, jumping on top of this dude's car. And he's like, drive, drive, drive. (laughs) And Rent, uh, and then Bagley's like, (laughs) he's, like, slicing and dicing like fucking Wolverine. And it is fucking intense. This movie turns from... Like a drama to a comedy to an action to a horror show in all of about 45 minutes. And I absolutely loved it. I was just like, oh shit! Bagley's fucking going for blood. And so uh, I love how he falls off the, the car again. And there's like this homage to to the first time that him and Spud were uh, run, out running the cops. And you know he puts his hand on the car and laughs. It's just this kind of iconic scene. And then he gets tackled, but uh, in the first movie, in this one, he just puts his hand on the scene and he starts running again because Bagley's coming after his ass. <laughs> oh my goodness! But uh, let me see. Yeah, and he and he hits fucking hard the ground. Um, let me see. So, sick boy and. McGregor get taken out 
to sorry i was i was trying to figure out what the hell was going on so they get uh after all of this happens sick boy is scolded by mcgregor saying you knew about bagley being out and all this and y'all were gonna try to scheme to take me out blah 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 sick boy was trying to scheme up against him because he's been pissed for many years the thing is they get picked up by mr o'doyle this uh spa owner <clears throat> from I, I really don't recall him in the first movie and i don't think he was in it but he just seems to be this spa owner who veronica has a kind of a, some intel with but um they find out that he's just uh Mr. Doyle has some spas that are going to be in competition with what uh, uh, Renton and Sick Boy want to do. And so <laughs> it's like uh, gangster. They they just take them out to the woods and they're like, we, you know, we're going to make it look like we're going to kill you, but we're just going to humiliate you. We're going to remove all your clothes and you got to fucking run back. And so... I did think that was a little bit random. I don't recall that being a major storyline or even a plot in the first one. Maybe that could have been taken out. I guess it's just uh, a funny visual, uh, you know, degrading them, I guess, a little bit. Um, I noticed this doesn't have a voiceover like the last one did. I, I really liked the voiceover in the first one because it kind of gave you an insight into this guy's head. Um, this one feels much more ominous as in we're going to each different storyline so it's not quite told from one perspective i at, at one point i wrote that veronica is going to run away with the money and i'm pretty sure that's exactly what ends up happening let me see yeah i believe that uh veronica Veronica and Spud's family seem to end up with the majority of it. Um, and I was like, damn it, they're going to try to betray each other again. I was like, I was like these motherfuckers don't learn nothing. Um, I love the scene of Bagley dropping in on Spud. I don't think I talked about in between that Spud and Veronica had a conversation that maybe he should become a writer and there's you know these there's some cool visuals with him writing you know acting like he's writing in the air um but he starts to write basically all of the events that happened in the first movie and he's uh got them written you know all on a wall and stuff like that and just because it's Spud it doesn't seem that cheesy I think it could come off as a little bit cheesy however Spud has the knowledge that Bagley doesn't, that um, we do. We we have Spud and Renton's perspective from the train spotting movie originally, and that's what Bagley is reading on the wall, which is very fourth wall breaking, especially with the, the way that it's uh, intertwined with this next movie. So it was it was fun to watch how it all um you know unraveled as the mystery was going. Uh I wrote Spud is kind of a puss while sock, uh, sock boy while sick boy is knocked out by Bagley. And, uh, of course they got the trains in the background of all this going on. Um, I love the scene with Renton and, uh, Bagley and he's like in this bathroom of some sort and they're talking about themselves as younger kids. Not really sure why they needed to do that. I didn't, I didn't feel like that really connected. 
to the story anymore. Um, I guess it just kind of plants in your mind. They've been young men for so long that, you know, they're, they're now old men, but things change, people change, but ultimately there's still those young men in, inside them. Um, and showing the boys in the same positions as Renton and Bagley were in, you know, uh, really recontextualizes what's going on in a way because when we see two grown men fighting we don't really think about it but when we see two young boys or two kids trying to you know get it, go at each other you're like stop it stop it you're like kids and so that's kind of what i feel like they're trying to boil it down to they're just you know old friends um and then we get the shining reference with bagley going whoosh straight in the wall and he's like oh here's Bagley you know basically one of them um normally I feel like that would never work but for some reason it does work in this because this guy Robert Carlyle is just so insane and to the point where the way this is ending with you know uh, Renton almost being choked and well basically being choked by Bagley his neck stuck in like a rope of some sort and Bagley pulling him down. I was like, oh my God, we're going to lose this guy this way. You know, our main character, Renton, we're going to lose him with being choked to death by one of his older best friends. It's like, God, this is, this is rough. But as soon as it happens, Spud comes out of nowhere and bam, whacks the fuck out of Carlisle or uh, uh, Bagley with the, um, uh, the toilet took his ass out um i wasn't exactly sure how it was going to end i was like did spud just kill a man with a toilet but thank goodness uh he lives they just put him in the back of a trunk and i think they deliver him back in jail um i love how the uh the ending with everybody reconciling with their family going back to kind of where they came from um i i i enjoy all that um i think let me see. Yeah, Spud signs away his money, I guess. Um, I couldn't tell if that was Spud's family at the end or if that's Veronica's family at the end. I'm a little bit confused, but someone's family at the end got some money. Um, but overall, this had that kind of Fight Club-esque ending with... Uh, Renton going back in his room and, you know, cranking that dance again like he was in the first one. I love that little dance he's got. And uh, the way that it's pulling out of his room into the credit scene. Oh my gosh, this is one of my favorite outros for a movie I've seen in a very long time. Just uh, the cinematography alone is beautiful. I, I wish more people had told me to watch this just for strictly filmmaking purposes. You know, the story is great, you know, as Trainspotting 1 and 2 go. But ultimately, it's the cinematography and the camera work that really entrance me with these two movies and make me want to go back and revisit them. So, um, thank you for listening, watching the Luck Adele podcast. Let me know what you thought about the Trainspotting 1, 2 review um in movies and you know if i i missed anything you know hit me with a correction you know if you liked what you're listening to uh throw a thumbs up five stars on itunes all of that help if you really want to help go to paypal.me slash the lucky doll podcast the link is 
in the description for all donations. It can be a dollar. It can be a hundred dollars. It's whatever you got. It's because um, we want to accommodate you, the viewer, the listener, and uh, only improve. And so I really enjoyed uh, T2 train spotting. And uh, yeah, couldn't recommend it enough. If you haven't seen it in some reason, listen to this entire review, both reviews and haven't watched it, definitely go check it out. This is uh, a movie I, I kind of slept on those last couple of years. So thank you for listening, watching, look at our podcast. We could not do this podcast without you, the listener. Um, we have movies all coming down the tube. Obviously, both train spottings will be out by the time you've listened to this. But um, most recently, we've covered Downton Abbey, Crawl, Sonic the Hedgehog, Memories of Murder, the Bong Joon-ho movie, Parasite, Marriage Story, Inception, The Outsider on HBO, the television show. We're covering that as well. Be sure to check out all the Lucky Dog podcasts. Check out Lucky Dog podcasts on Apple iTunes. Lucky Dog is one word, by the way. I, I haven't really emphasized that enough, but... um. Yeah, and if you want to listen to Lucky Dog um, podcasts faster, slower, uh, you know, no ads or something like that. I mean, there really aren't any ads, but um, depending on what player you're you're playing from, there might be. Um, but yeah, you can check out Overcast. We got Apple iTunes. I think it's on Google Play as well. And TuneIn is also a great option. If you have an Amazon Echo, you can also listen to the latest Lucky Dog podcast through TuneIn. All you got to do is make sure that TuneIn is downloaded to your Echo, and you'll be able to listen to the latest Lucky Dog podcast. So thank you for supporting the Lucky Dog podcast. Thank you. Take it easy.